Hey guys, this is John and welcome to another episode of the Meat Chistics Podcast. We've got a special one for you today. First of all, we can all take a sigh of relief. There is no Austin up here, so it'll go much smoother. Uh, second, we do have a guest with us today. Uh, we have Jesse Holder. Now, Jesse is, we know her through somebody that we advertise with, and we may talk about that a little bit, but Jesse has the Kitchen Invitation podcast and YouTube channel, as well as a pretty strong social media following. Um, Instagram is one of the places that I definitely saw her and got to listen to her talk a little bit to a network of people she's built there. It was very, very interesting, uh, but let me stop talking about her and we'll let her introduce herself. Jesse, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm a, a registered dietitian since 2013, which uh, basically means I'm licensed to talk about food. <laughs> and I should be the only one not doing so, but doing so and giving advice to people. I, I always fight against the, the influencers on social media and the people spraying a bunch of conspiracy yes. theories about food, like we were talking about. So, um, yep, I'm a, a wife and a mom of one, soon to be two. Congratulations. And- I love cooking. Thank you. I love cooking. I love love eating. And I like talking about food. So I mean, my career just kind of, it works for me. <laughs> You're a registered dietitian. Talk to me a little bit. Was that hard to do? No, you know, I mean, it, it takes time. That's for sure. And study. So I went to uh, Central Michigan University for my undergraduate degree. And then I applied for an internship which once you um, get an internship and complete it, then you can apply to take your national examination. Uh, Once you pass that, you're licensed as a dietitian. And then I went further and I got my master's degree in nutrition as well. So once you get that license, that's like the big thing. But taking that exam is a doozy. Is yes. it? How many pages was it? Oh, it's so it's online. So I don't remember how many pages, but I remember my novel of study materials was like hundreds <laughs> of pages, hundreds of note cards. And you're just you're studying all the time. And then beyond that, every five years, we have to um, meet continuing education criteria. So it's it's always good. But you get to the end of that year last year and you're like, oh, no, <laughs> I've done things. I swear, Academy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great thing that they have you continually uh stay up on things because when I was growing up, they told us to eat nothing but grains and <laughs> pastas. They're like, no, this is what you should eat the most of. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that was a lie. <laughs> so it's important that people know that. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, nutrition. I am one of those people who probably talks about nutrition more than I should. <laughs> um, okay. Through a lot of it. So I used to weigh 240-ish pounds. Um, I'm 5'8". I'm down to, I was down to 175 at like my lowest. I'm back up to probably like 190 something there just because the last two years have been insane. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely insane. But it was, I mean, it was a long period of finding out what really worked for me. Mm-hmm. And in the end, what what I found was intermittent fasting mm-hmm. um, and paying attention to eating less sugar. Sure. Those two things, if I could keep on those two things, the weight falls right off. Mm-hmm. However, it's keeping them. the second I get stressed out, it's like, oh, I've, I've had a thing of Twinkies up there because we do a segment called Will It Barbecue <laughs> where we just throw odd things on a barbecue oh, or smoker and see what they're like. <laughs> and we're doing Twinkies, but I've been keeping those up there and refusing to open the box because I know once I crack that box, they're... They're all gone within a couple of days. So I, t- as long yeah. as the box is whole, <laughs> I tiptoe a lot in the counseling realm with my one-on-one clients with those types of behaviors because a lot of my clients can't stay on things like intermittent fasting or or following any kind of plan. Sometimes that just 
works for some people. Sometimes it doesn't. So I'm always working on the the long-term behavior change so that like when stress happens, we don't automatically like completely cope with food in the way where it gets damaging to us. Sure. Yep. And then that's definitely been a, a repeating pattern mm-hmm. throughout my entire so life. Uh, food is comfort food. Absolutely. Um, now, there are definitely healthier choices you can make, and I am way better at doing that now than I used to be. Um, but you you don't really like diet culture. Can you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, for sure. So a big thing with everything I do as a dietitian is to be very anti-diet. So the real like core of that to me is being against the diet, um, the diet culture and the diet industry, which is a near trillion dollar industry that to be honest, mostly preys on people who are really vulnerable. They encourage fast weight loss, heavy restriction, well knowing even based on their scientific studies, most people like around 95% of people will go back to old habits, feel really bad about themselves, deal with guilt and shame and cycles of like this. It's a really abusive food cycle. And then, um, and yes, it does often result in weight gain because what happens is we damage our metabolism, like crashing like that and restricting and, and like humans are not, they're not prone to restriction. We're not like, we don't enjoy (laughs) restriction. We don't enjoy that box of Twinkies (laughs) sitting there, like staring at us in the face. Um, We don't enjoy that feeling. We don't like that. So we tend to rebel and then we feel bad. And that is just like this diet culture cycle is what it puts people in. And I always tell people like, if people do intermittent fasting or, or keto or paleo, whatever they do, I have no issue with it. Because if you're not my client, you're not seeking my help. I don't care. (laughs) Right. Why would you? Why would I? But I also think people have to find like a balance and a place that works for them. So I Mm -hmm. don't like the diet industry, but I know it gives people a lot of different ideas and thoughts. And then sometimes it it gets them on the path to me eventually. So it works out. (laughs) But that is also, uh, podcasts, I think, have been a huge turning point in people figuring out how to get their health under control because they no longer have to go sit in a doctor's office, which I flat out refuse to do, or, you know, to get reliable health advice. Now you can hear, I can listen to uh, Joe Rogan or whoever talk to, oh, what is her name? It's one of the uh, health doctors he has on there from time. uh, Rhonda, can't think of her last name. Un, like incredibly in-depth explanations of things I would not get from going to talk to my doctor. Like these are high level experts that you get to hear things directly from. And you can kind of choose what pieces you think will work for you and then experiment with them and see if that will actually work for you. Yeah. Go ahead. No, yeah, that's exactly it. It's if, you, if you're hearing something, whether it's on Joe Rogan's podcast or somebody's book or something in the news, if you hear something, I usually tell people like, I don't want them to be like completely skeptical, but like just take pieces and really think like what would actually work for me and do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Like that's all we have to do. We can experiment with all the rest. Yeah, and it doesn't like uh like I said I I'm, I'm now 15 to 20ish pounds heavier than I was at my lowest. It's still a whole heck of a lot better than where I started out at. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel better, I have more confidence. I mean, all of that plays into it. So even not always staying at that peak performance still has vast improvements on health from being as overweight as I was at least. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing you said there, damaging your metabolism. So my wife is one of those people who dieting 100% works for. Um, she's got the willpower of, it's amazing. 
She will bring food when she's really dieting. She'll bring food to a restaurant and, or to like a friend's house and eat just that. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Um, she's done uh, like the bikini competition shows. Sure. Um, and so she's gotten her body fat so low that it destroyed her metabolism, like completely just absolutely destroyed it. When she started reintroducing food, her body's like, now nah, we're storing all of this as fat. Like, get ready for this. So she actually had to reverse diet yep. for about two years and getting way heavier than she'd ever been to be able to get her metabolism and her hormones back under control where she could come back to like a, a safe thing. Yeah. So it's, it, it is interesting. If you get down to that low, low body fat, um, you are, you're playing with a little bit of fire there. Yeah. And you're, you play with that fire too, honestly, at like really higher weights as well. Like you can damage your metabolism and whether you see a change on a scale or in your body or not, it's very fascinating to me, but mo- like when I spent most of my time in outpatient care and working in a hospital, I would see all the time people eating so minimal, all different shapes and size people, small, medium, large, you name it. And, and their metabolism is just so damaged that eating even just beyond 1200 calories, they see some weight gain and just like that panic can rush over people. So then we cut further. I would see people at like uh-huh. eight or 900 and it's just like, it's just that's where our diet industry has really sabotaged people, to be honest, because they're not they they think they're saying things like, oh, you know, just make gradual changes. But they're really like, track your food, do this, do that. And it's <laughs> like that doesn't work for most people. <laughs> right. Nope. For the vast majority of them, I used to use uh, my fitness pal, mm-hmm. that little Ugh. tracker. And I was just like, this is too much of a pain. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And then probably. Coming off of that, I was like, all right, well, I don't have to track my calories. I don't have to think about it every time anymore. So I'm more likely to eat things I know I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, not that memes are uh, useful. Well, they are useful. But not they that they're uh, authoritative. Um, but I did see an image the other day that was the beach in the 70s. And every single person looked like they were in shape. Sure. So in the last 50 years, what has happened to our food industry that all of a sudden we have this... I mean, obvious epidemic of overweight, out of shape people. Mm-hmm. So I think I think multiple things have happened. I was just just talking about this very thing, and really, there is such a strong belief in my core that the diet industry is to blame for a lot of that because it happened. Like you can look up this whole timeline of like how bodies were desired back in like hundred, two hundred years ago. We were desired Mm -hmm. to be even bigger than maybe we were in like the 70s because that meant you were wealthy. That meant you had access. And if you were thin, like, oh, that's bad. Like you're you're this, you're that. And then it began to shift. And I know there was a lot of shifting in like the 70s and 80s and promotion of like low fat, go reduce fat, everything. (laughs) Anti-fat was then. Now we're anti-carb. And so I really think the diet industry has savage house people and and that has impacted us even more than our food industry. There's definitely things within our food industry that have impacted the size of people, I think. But I, I just feel it in my core that a lot of it is this like force down our throat. Like you have to be at this weight to be healthy. Even the overweight obese over that categories of BMI, they're just bull <laughs> there. So I don't know if I should yeah. be explicit on this show. Um, <laughs> so they, it's really unfortunate because if I could get the exact year, it's like 19, um, 1980 something is when they decided as like a group of researchers and white men in England 
to make BMI like a marker of health when it wasn't even designed to be that. And then beyond right. that, they take um, a slight adjustment and overnight from one day to the next, they're like, well, now this is the new category. So now everybody who was in the healthy weight is now overweight. and Everyone who's overweight is now obese for nothing. Nothing changed about their right. health um, except that a scale about it changed. And now insurance can charge you more because you're here on this scale. So then insurance companies say you have to get here. And it is, it's really like this horrible cycle. Um, and what happens with a lot of that damage to the metabolism is our set point or our normal weight that our body kind of wants to fluctuate and be at, it, it goes up because it's a protective thing. It's like, what are you doing to me? You're trying to starve me. Yep. <laughs> so I'm not letting go of any of the, any I'm of hanging this on. Yeah. Yep. Because I'm, I'm terrified. Yep. And so, yeah. So, and there's definitely other things too, you know, maybe back then there was more movement, more access to safe, um, you know, sidewalks, safe playgrounds, safe places for kids to go play for adults to let them go play, um, sure. access to groceries and food. I mean, there's so many things about our food industry that have changed, but I think a lot of it's due to access as well. And socioeconomic status. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely does make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're putting together a g just a general plan for somebody, do you like to focus on a lot of like whole foods? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, is it just a fast food hard cutoff? No. How do you treat that? Yeah, I don't. I put I put zero foods off limit to people because the second okay. I start telling somebody like, don't do that, um, what they hear in their mind is, okay, I shouldn't eat that. When And this is my favorite saying, when, I, when we should on ourselves – we guilt ourselves because we're already going to do what we say we're not going to do. <laughs> I shouldn't eat those Twinkies. I'm going to eat them. And now I'm just kind of setting myself up for guilt about it. So like my biggest thing is like keeping all foods on the table. Yes, I love a whole foods approach. But um, to me, whole foods can include lots of packaged foods because most of our foods, if you want to use the word processed, are processed in some way, shape or form, right. even whole foods. Um, so I really like to kind of get on people's level, see where they're at, see, especially for my line of work, like see where they're at cooking skill wise, because that's a big part of it. I, I teach people every week how to cut an onion, <laughs> like how to cut a bell pepper. Cause it's like, you see these produce in the store and everyone's like, eat more vegetables. That'd be great if I knew how to chop it. <laughs> right. So, Some people yeah. don't, if you don't have that skill, if you haven't done it in the past, yep. I mean, yeah, it's just. So I grew up. I grew up. My father, the kitchen was more his area than my mom's. So there was no stigma for me. Like there definitely is a stigma. For, I've run into it time and time again yeah. with guys. You're like, no, my wife does the cooking. Yep. It's like, well, don't you think you should be able to just in case, right. you know, right? Or just to be able to help out, and it's a it's a useful skill to have. Yep. Um, vegetables are not really something I eat. A lot of, um, I, I generally, I will eat an apple every single day, no matter what. Um, I almost always have some red bell peppers cut up to eat as a snack. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, sugar snap peas I are, those. I love those. They're so ridiculously good. That's half my garden mm -hmm. is sugar snap oh, peas awesome. right now. Um, and then carrots, but like with a meal, not really. Those are all just like sprinkled throughout the day. Mm -hmm. When I eat a meal, it's basically, it's mostly just, just a protein. Mm -hmm. So 
one of the things shopping on that. Um, so everybody at my local grocery store, all of the uh, cashiers know me now and they know not to tell me what the total is because <laughs> I've asked them time and time. I'm like, I don't want to know. Just take my receipt and throw it out. It's just going to put me in a bad mood. Yeah. One of your recent podcast episodes was about this very subject. Mm-hmm. And you talked about uh, some things people can do to help protect their wallet while they're out shopping. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to go over a few of those at least. Uh, you had 15 tips. So the the podcast episode was the Kitchen Invitation, 15 Food Budgeting Tips. Um, and I'd like to go over just a, a few of them and get a little bit deeper in thought on those. Yeah. Uh, your first one, which was really interesting to me, was the inventory system. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what that is and why that helps? For sure. So that is my number one tip to everybody because generally we have a lot of food at home. (laughs) There is usually food in the freezer, in the cupboards, in the pantry. Some of it's collecting dust. Um, And oftentimes we get in this habit of spending money on food that we could have used that we already have on hand. So for budgeting purposes, whether it's quarterly, annually, or every month, I recommend people go through their freezer their pantry, maybe even their free uh, fridge, and write down or put it in a Google Doc or something on your phone. Write down everything you have <laughs> on hand, and it's tedious. Like it, it can be like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. But you also don't want to go through the freezer in five months and find like <laughs> I've got some. I actually have some wild boar in my freezer, and I keep thinking like, Don't Ooh, forget nice. you have that. Don't forget you have that. I got to review my inventory. Do something with it. exactly. So we end up losing this confidence in ourselves if we don't use what we have on hand because we kind of make ourselves feel bad if we go home or go to the store. We spend a lot because just basic groceries are more expensive. And we get home and we're like, oh, I already had two rolls of this. I don't even feel like cooking it anymore. <laughs> like, so, huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a lot See, of That's, that's like interesting. That. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's a somewhat foreign uh, mindset to me. My wife and I are very, very, very seldom order anything out or go out to dinner. We do, I would say high 90% of all of our cooking uh, at home, just because it's not part of, you know, what we're used to. But at other points in my life, for sure, I ate way more takeout than I cooked anything at home. Mm -hmm. That's just a habit you have to get into. It totally is. And habits are hard. (laughs) I tell people, I never like to say them as like good or bad habits. Cause honestly, again, for most people that spins them into this negative spiral downhill. Um, but if you can get in that habit of having an inventory to look at and using that to at least, at least cook one thing from something you have on hand, all you have to do is look at that list. I'm like, Oh, I've got wild boar. Oh, I could do this. I could do that. I've got, Oh, I've got frozen peas. What could I do with that? You end up finding more possibilities instead of limits. Okay. Um, so another thing you said that spoke to me really well or applied to me very strongly is look for different recipes because you'll get bored with the same thing. I will go through, I eat basically like a dog. I say it. <laughs> I mean, you did all, say an apple, bell pepper. The same things yeah. every day. And then all of a sudden, just one day, I'll be eating like the same lunch I've had for the past five months. Yeah. And my mouth goes, no, this is terrible. We hate this. <laughs> Like, oh, got to find something else I can eat all the time. Just because I like it because it's easy. Um, you know, it, I I know obviously I'm used to preparing it. I know how long it'll last in the fridge. So it, it makes it super simple. Um, so if we're looking for 
changing that up? How many days a week would you say eating the same thing is pushing it? Oh, I mean, it really does depend on the individual. Clearly, you can go about five months. <laughs> if I'm thinking about myself, I'm going a week. <laughs> I, I would okay. say a lot okay. of like my snack foods end up being the same. My breakfast pretty much rotate between a couple. Um, for most people, I think they're getting bored if it's been a month and they're like, okay, I cannot have one more snack of baby carrots. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> baby carrots. Um, baby carrots are so good. Though. I know they're great. They taste awesome. So good. They're so packable. I, I have a theory that if baby carrots still taste sweet to you, you're eating the right amount of sugar. <laughs> if when you eat baby carrots, they don't taste sweet, it's like ah, uh, your taste buds are all are off because they are like a sweet thing. But. Yeah. Neither here nor there. Right. Theory. Right. So yeah, it just depends on the individual. But I think if you can look back at yourself and say like, well, I get bored after a week or after two weeks or three and I'm like itching in the kitchen for something different. That's where it can like spur people to eat out more often, which does cost even more no matter what we all think. Like sure. It costs more um, and you typically don't get leftovers. Um, so yeah, it just, it depends on the individual for sure. Yeah. I get uh, absolutely way too full when I eat out. Mm-hmm. Um, I intentionally don't bring food home because I know I'm just going to eat it later that night. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had food left over the next day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, especially Not- in social situations, our hunger and our fullness cues that we all have, but are very out of touch with most often, um, especially at a restaurant, like they are, they're gone. <laughs> we are busy thinking yep. about other things. <laughs> Yep. Yep. That's absolutely true. Uh, One of the things you said were uh, look for some budget friendly proteins. Mm -hmm. Now, when you said that, what I, what I initially heard was no more center cut (laughs) ribeyes. I might have to look for ones that don't have quite the fat cap on or the cap on it, but you didn't mean that you meant deeper cuts than that. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm like, Oh, you're bringing (laughs) up. I'm going to hurt you guys. Um, I'm not against meat. I love, I, we eat meat in my family, but, no, um, I know, I know, but it is plant proteins can, and what I mean by plant proteins are actual plant proteins, not just like meatless patties that they make up for you, which mm-hmm. those are cool too, for those who like those. Sure. Um, yep. but like things like lentils, beans, um, tofu, tempeh, edamame, soy, those types of foods, one, they've got even more nutritional benefit than just protein. A lot of them can boost your amount of calcium, which a lot of people are missing, different vitamins, minerals, and then fiber too, especially if we're not big on vegetables or fruit, depending, or whole grains. Um, So those plant proteins end up being a lot cheaper. And often I just tell people, you don't have to switch your whole stir fry to tofu. (laughs) I don't want anyone to feel like, oh God, I'm not going to do tofu. Um, But maybe you could do half and half, or maybe you could stretch out your turkey meat for tacos next time with a couple of lentils in there too. Um, they can be really, really cost effective. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, what is it? Red beans and rice is supposed to have the full amino acid, uh, chain that you need. Yeah. It's kind of, so you could technically survive on it. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, so yeah, there, that's actually a little bit of an older theory now, like that we have to have complete proteins, um, in order to get every single amino acid in. Um, but it is still like, that's a classic pairing of red beans and rice or any bean and rice. 
you're going to meet your needs. And so you don't have to have needs. <laughs> I love it, right. but it is costly. So if you can maybe do a swap on it or stretch out the cost of meat by adding some more plant proteins in, your, your budget's going to thank you for sure. Now, bioavailability of that protein, um, like your body's ability to process that, mm-hmm. it's not a one-to-one with like a steak and, well, it's not even one-to-one from steak and chicken. From steaks to a plant protein, um, will your body absorb the same amount from the, the plant? You know, actually, everyone's pretty individual with how much energy or protein, energy meaning calories, calories come from carbs, protein, fat. Mm-hmm. So everybody is a little bit different with how much they absorb from a certain food. You and I could both eat the exact same portion of steak or lentils. And technically, scientifically, we would absorb different amounts. It's, there's a lot of different factors in that. But yes, your body is fully capable of absorbing it. And most of the time I tell people you don't need to worry about it too much. <laughs> if you're eating right. well and feeling well and things are going okay, then you're doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, another thing you talked about was make a list. I could could not agree with you more yeah. on that. Um, when I let my wife go food shopping, and I, I very much try and restrict it because <laughs> she's the one who will come home with things that are not on the list. I'm like, hey, that's it. And she's fine with it. Because like I said, mental will of a I, I, whatever has a strong mental will, yeah. that's her. I'm the one who's looking at that going, ooh, that would be really good right now. Yeah. Had a tough day at work or the dogs are annoying me. Mm-hmm. Um, so list is absolutely a great thing. Um, I recommend everybody do that for totally. sure. Uh, shopping in season, also a great, great. Uh, that one for me at least goes beyond just the the price. Um, we're also talking about, hey, if it's in season, there's a better chance that A, it's local, mm-hmm. hasn't been shipped in from another country, doesn't have all of that carbon, footprint. whatever you want to call it, baggage yeah. that comes with that. Yep. Um, so shopping in season is something that we probably do a terrible job on, to be honest. But it is something that comes across my mind. Like I'll look at cherries and go, That's... Why are there cherries here right now? It's the middle of January. Right, like, that doesn't make any sense. Those are not from here. <laughs> I shouldn't be here at all. Uh, and then the other one I want to talk about was uh, uh, the shopping per pound. Mm. Um, in listening to some of your podcasts, you talk a lot about, well, not a lot. You talk a fair amount about Aldi's mm-hmm. um, and definitely love shopping at Aldi's. It's a great way to save a little bit of money and still get mostly pretty good food. Mm-hmm. Um, but... A lot of their produce is, like you said, packaged in like threes. Like, well, if I don't need three, I think zucchini was the, I think you said zucchini. Yeah, they're always packaged Um, in three. Bell peppers, always three. Mm -hmm. Now, bell peppers, no problem. I'll eat all three of those. I will cut (laughs) those up and eat that within a day, probably. (laughs) Um, But so it really is worth it to, if you only need one, forget buying the three, even though they're cheaper individually, drive to another store and get them there? Totally depends on your access. So like my stores are across the street from each other. So that makes a big difference for me. Um, Or if like I know I go, so I'm a pretty in-depth planner at this point. I pretty much know like, well, I'm only going to go on the third Friday of this month to this store because that's when I can go. (laughs) I know. Okay. (laughs) It's all up there. Wow. It's up there. That's in-depth. It's too much for most people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, but so I would say most of the time 
because I shop mainly at Aldi specifically, I buy the the three bell peppers, I buy the extra. But what I tell people is like, look at your food when you bring it home. Like this is another extra budget tip. Like look at the food that you bought. And if you only needed one zucchini right then, if you can chop it up and freeze it or shred it up and freeze it or get that bell pepper sliced. And again, you could free, you can freeze so many things and use them again in tons of different ways. Um, so I don't think people are using their freezer as efficiently as they could, especially when they come home buying a little more than what they technically needed that week. Yeah. I have a vac sealer at my mm-hmm. house. Uh, we sell a, a, a big chambered one, but I honestly, I just need the little unit we sell. Yeah. Um, so I have that at home. I will, anytime I see a deal on any type of steak, I will buy a lot of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's avian bird flu is going through our uh, chicken herds right now. Herds? Flocks? Oh, I don't know. Chicken flocks uh, <laughs> right now. So there was one part or one point in May where in the space of maybe a month and a half, there were seven, either five or seven million uh, chickens culled. So just killed and not consumed at all. Twice from recording these podcasts, I got up, went to my local Dillon's and bought all of their chicken. And I think what people thought I meant was I was going to go buy a lot of chicken. I went and bought all of their fresh chicken. I was like, I will take all of these. And people are looking at me as I'm walking up with a full basket of chicken. Like, what is this moron doing? But I went home, cut them all up. And my deep freezer is like, I don't know how many levels deep of frozen chicken in there yeah. just because I saw the prices were going to go up and they definitely did. Yeah. Um, and I even was at the point and still am a little bit uh, worried about the availability yeah. of some of these proteins, specifically chicken. Now you just need that inventory system so you don't forget about all the chicken in your freezer. <laughs> so here's the funny thing. A, I have an inventory system awesome. for what I have, but only for what I have here at work. Yeah. Um, I don't have it for at home. So I, but I, I will seriously consider that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing is I have almost like a mental thing where I will never let food go to waste. Mm-hmm. I've eaten really old meat that I've found like, oh, this was from f- literally five years ago. Uh, it's been vac sealed the whole time. It's been in a freezer. It should be fine. And does it taste great? No, yeah, right. no, it starts to, to fade, yeah. but still it's still Still edible, for sure. For sure. So in the apocalypse, I'm going to do great. Yeah, I was pretty much We're anyway. all headed your way. <laughs> Cut that little mold off and just keep eating. <laughs> That's what we whenever someone freaks out about mold on cheese or something. I'm like, just, just slice it off. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so you mentioned tofu uh, in the replacements. Um, so I, I have eaten a, a decent amount of tempeh. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife used to be a, a pretty strict vegetarian. Uh-huh. Um, she now eats chicken regularly. Um, and occasionally she'll have a steak with me probably probably once a month um, uh, for her. What is the current thought? Because I know it keeps going or seems to keep going back and forth on the phytoestrogens that are present in uh, tofu and tempeh mm-hmm. and causing issues in men. My understanding is that it really is not something that anyone needs to be concerned about. Um, If you have a current diagnosis of breast cancer, that's when you do typically want to be a little bit more concerned, but it never, again, never typically means that something's 100% off limits. 
So that's the only, at least to my knowledge, diagnosis that makes us a little bit more aware of how much we're getting. So if I met someone and they had breast cancer and they ate tofu every day or three times a day, I probably would try to back them off a little bit. At the same time, there's enough individual research out there that says like, well, how do we exactly know that it's going to impact this person the same way as this person? That's the tricky part about nutrition research. But yes, there's no concern about the phytoestrogens in soy products. Okay. Um, all right. You ready for a typical week's dinner? I'm ready. For Let's hear it. what I generally, I wrote it down. Okay. So two times a week, I will have uh, a homemade red sauce that I will put s- pork, sausage, and shrimp into. Mm-hmm. And I'll eat that with no pasta because I don't, I always feel like just so heavy after pasta mm-hmm. that I really try to limit my uh, intake of pasta. Um, I will have ribeyes twice a week, and that is pretty much a hard, fast rule. Um, during the the pandemic, when prices on beef went really crazy, I actually, for the first time, and I don't know how long, like put steaks back. Like I picked it up, looked at the price, and go, I can't, can't justify yeah. that. Um, but in general, I will always have that with uh, fries made in the air fryer. Uh, then I'll have chicken, uh, so chicken breast that I sprinkle uh, one of our seasonings on. I bake that then store it in the fridge. Then I slice it up, put it in a pan with a little bit of oil, get it hot, then put a wrap down in the cast iron, put that chicken back on top of the wrap, melt some cheese on it, eat that. Um, then once a week, I'll have like a Casey strip steak. Um, and then the last whatever the leftover is, whatever I'm in the mood for that night. I, I tend to like uh, Brinner uh-huh. yes. a lot. Oh, so I'll eat like eggs or, or I just, it's a cool little comfort Oh yeah, I love Brinner. Meal. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> and then for lunch, I eat a bunch of, um, you're familiar with fake fish? Like the fake crab meat? Yes, I love crab meat. <laughs> I love crab I meat. I love that stuff. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And it's so easy. So that's the thing that I'll go on five month like runs of where I'll just eat that almost every day for lunch for five months. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, Ugh, this is terrible. I'll have to take like, I don't know, many months off before my body's like, yeah, we want that again. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, yeah, all the other snacks I have. So hearing that, like, what would you look at and be like, okay, that doesn't seem like that's a smart idea. <laughs> The only thing, I mean, the first thing that jumps out to me is I'm just wondering about your amount of fiber you get on a daily basis, which we're not going to get into this, but that always makes me think about (laughs) GI systems um, because that's what I talk about with clients all the time. Um, Fiber and then, you know, just depending on what you're eating the rest of the day, you could be short on some different vitamins or minerals based on a lower consumption of fruits, veggies, and whole grains. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Grains, whole grains occasionally I'll have, um, some oatmeal, Mm -hmm. um, but that's real occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um, but so a single apple a day, a cucumber, probably every other day and some, uh, red bell peppers aren't doing it. (laughs) Well, they're definitely doing something, (laughs) but, um, you know, I think that that would be the first thing is what I would ask you if you were my client is, are you even interested in increasing your fruit and vegetable consumption? And no, you're not. So that's okay. Like I just, I'm not. that's the thing. No. And, and you're feeling well. And if, if 
again, I know it sounds like, like you said, you don't go to the doctor, but if you had any labs that were off or you had something happening within your body and you're like, why is this happening? Then we might have to like take that step further and be like, well, let's see what would happen if you ate or sprinkled in a little bit more of this or tried adding some whole grains back in a little more often, which those are the base of energy for the brain, the muscles, the heart, everything. So um, it really depends on how you're feeling. And then, like I just said, if a client's like, no, I'm not really interested in that. I'm like, okay, let's switch gears. What do you want to do? Like, what are your goals and what are you working toward? Um, it's much more about the person than my thoughts on what you quote unquote should be doing. So I did have blood work done probably two years ago, just before COVID. Um, they were doing it at my wife's work. So I had like my triglycerides, everything checked and there were no, yeah, no issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I'm eating mostly the same as them. Probably I'm eating a little bit more, mm-hmm. but like mostly the same stuff. Yeah. So I assume I'm okay. I don't have any health problems, any noticeable ones that I know, mm-hmm. except this weird little like extra skin around my middle. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> It just all seems to hang out a little bit further than it used to. <laughs> well, I did but hear you shooting on yourself a little bit, talking a little bit about like, <laughs> I don't do this. I try not to do that. I can't eat those. Queen-. So there might be a little healing of a relationship with food that we would work on for that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't. I don't have a good relationship. It, it's like, I, I think it was Louis C.K. said, I don't stop eating when I'm full. I stop eating when the food's gone yeah. and I hate myself. Like that is very <laughs> oh, much... Left to my own devices, I'm going to eat. <laughs> but luckily, I, I, I'm. Uh, my wife is so focused on it, mm-hmm. and we. I mean, you know, obviously she's my wife; she's my best friend. Yeah. I don't want to like fall too far behind her, so I'm like, all right, well, we got to keep this going. Mm-hmm. So I can't be, you know, the the one who's in too much of worse shape. <laughs> I hear you. And I I mean, that's a very, it's a very unique thing to have one's own relationship with food, but then you pair your best friend, your spouse, your loved one with that. Um, It's a whole other dynamic we work on. And I I work on it with a lot of couples too. just everyone's in very different spots. But um, yeah, I just think one, everyone's individual. So it sounds like one of the biggest things you're doing, which I love is you're cooking a lot at home. And that's always a great thing. Always. (laughs) Yeah. A, like I, I enjoy the process. I mean, I'm lucky enough to do what I do here. It, it involves a lot of food. So I get to play with a lot of proteins. Um, and then at home, whatever I want to cook, it, it, it's a fun process for me. And at the end, I have something that hopefully whoever I'm eating with loves it. Like there is no better compliment to me, at least, than, oh my God, that was amazing. Thank you. There's a few things I've made here that I've brought around. Usually you'll get, oh, that was too spicy yeah. or no, that wasn't spicy enough from like some people, you know, because everybody's different. Yeah. But there's been a few things that I've made and brought around here and have just been universally loved. I'm like, that feels good. Yeah. Like to really just knock it out of the park for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you come from a, it, at least somewhat of a hunting family. Yeah. I mean, I heard you say you had some wild boar before. <laughs> yeah. How much do you think hunting can play a part in uh people's day-to-day diet? I, well, I, I think it'd be really cool if it played more of a part. Um, if people truly understood the hunter gatherer situation, like if they understood what that meant, if they understood how to do that or how to even get started, I think that would be a really interesting thing to see what it does to like the general health of America and people in general. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great way to like 
go full circle with not farm to table, we'll go wildlife to table. Because <laughs> when you think about like, I don't know, elementary school, when you learn about the circle of life, and it's kind of cool if you can be involved in that in the hunting part. So I think it's a great thing. And the more we can actually explore that and explore our own resources, I think the better. As far as from just like a health standpoint, are there certain proteins that you think offer more overall health benefits than others? Well, they're not the most popular, but actually different organ meats. And I've tried some from yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yep. from my uh, my dad cooking different things as a kid. And even now, like he'll be like, just try this. And I'm like, what? I ate it. What was it? He's like, oh, it's a heart. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. yeah. no, not, not my favorite thing to hear. But when you think about it, like, I, I think it's so important to use every part of the animal as a hunter. So if you're eating as many parts of that too, like it's a great way to learn and explore different cultures too, because different cultures eat way more of the animal and use way more of the animal than we do. Um, that said too, lots of game birds are a really lean form of meat. Um, even if you leave the skin on, which most people recommend for game birds, cause it's so lean. Um, but yeah, there's tons of different wildlife out there to explore and enjoy. Yeah, we, uh, so on a normal episode, it would be me and my boss, Austin, up here talking and we do a, a segment called Meat Matters and we just talk about like news articles that come up about meat and something that kept coming up were all these people doing like raw food diets and it's just like, <laughs> so I've long, I've long held this belief. Cookie dough is better than cookie. Cake batter is better than cake. Brownie batter better than brownies. We must be destroying meat when we cook it, like joking, yeah, yeah, just totally joking. Thought it was a funny thing. So eventually I was like, all right, I'm going to try this. So I went out and I got uh, fresh liver, fresh ground beef and a fresh steak from a sure, butcher. Yeah. I know. Um, yep. So tried all three of them raw. The liver was not good. <laughs> not, not good. I, I was, I, as soon as I put it in my mouth, I'm like, all right, I'm on camera. I have to maintain. I'm like, yeah, that's not tasty, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but the the ground beef and the the steak were phenomenal. Interesting. Like really, really good. Wow. Um, and I had no negative effects. My stomach was fine. No, no problems whatsoever. Um, so yeah, just just one of those kind of weird things that you you see people do, but then you do it and you're like, okay, I could see how somebody could get behind this. I certainly wouldn't make it a staple of my, you know, of my daily diet right. for a whole host of reasons. Mm -hmm. The number one being there's a lot of bacteria that lives on the uh, outside of that. Yeah. Meat. It was like the potential for foodborne illness, um, which like you, like I was about to not interrupt, but like say like you went to a butcher, right? <laughs> because, oh, yeah. and yep. you know that obviously, but anyone listening, you know, don't go grab a roll of ground beef and dive in. It's a little different. That's not going to end well not. for anybody. No, it's not. It's a bad thing. Um, but, you know, I think, again, that's like the fun. When you see articles like that, if you can pull something fun away from it and learn something and just try something new, that's what I think food's about. It's like trying new things, feeling like you can eat essentially whatever you want in a way that respects yourself and your body and your choices and your mind. But it's fun to pull things like that from the raw food diet and be like, well, what would it be like if I ate like this? Oh, no, that doesn't work for me. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from a taste standpoint, 100% thought it was at least as good, probably better than cooked. But I'm just not taking that risk. Uh, no, <laughs> it's really not worth many it. Many times, let alone every time. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. Um, 
So you obviously have an inventory of all your food. What What is in your deep freezer right now? Well, definitely the wild boars in there. There's a rack of ribs in there as far as some meat. There's some um, salmon. There's some shrimp. There's um, I freeze a lot of different grains if I can't get to them. Like I love pearled barley. I love couscous. I love um, I love brown rice and amaranth and things like that. I love experimenting with different grains. So I usually keep those in the freezer. Um, okay. things in the deep freezer, always tons of different fruits and vegetables. Um, definitely some ice creams always in there as well. <laughs> um, thinking what else is in my, I wish I had my inventory list. I can see it. It's on my clipboard. Um, yeah, that kind of sums it up. I mean, there's always some kind of meat, some grains. Oh, and then I, um, I keep like a little bin of what I call my flavor boosters. So if you buy, let's say store-bought pesto or you make it and it's going to go bad before you are going to use it, what I will do is like freeze it in an ice cube tray and then I pop them out, little ice cubes of frozen pesto or herbs or tomato paste, whatever it is. And I keep those in Hmm. Ziploc bags. So then if I need... If I need it for a recipe or if I'm like, oh, what would make this burger a little better? Ooh, pesto. Like plop out of the freezer, throw it in the pan, and you're good to go. So I always have a bin of my little flavor bombs. That is a good way to look at it. So um, you have a vacuum sealer at your house? I do not. Um, I wish I did. Oh, we'll get that (laughs) fixed. (laughs) That would be great. We'll talk after. Yeah, we'll get that fixed for sure. Um, In fact, I think we need to talk to your father. I believe one of those was supposed to be for you. So we'll talk. We we'll should talk. talk. About that yeah, later. he gets all of the the good Walton stuff, and I'm like, I just go steal all the spices. Like the potato <laughs> seasoning one is my favorite, just to like plug it in. Like I love it. Um, and I ran out of it, and then he's like, I got my next shipment, and I looked, I'm like, there's no potato seasoning. <laughs> I took potato seasoning garnish out. Oh no, I apologize. That's we'll okay. get that fixed. <laughs> it's, it's we'll talk after. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so vacuum sealer, uh, whenever we talk about, um, so w- we focus on it from more of a different aspect. We look at what's coming and worry about there being enough proteins coming down, not necessarily, uh, budgeting for it, but that is also definitely plays into yeah. it. Um, and a vacuum sealer is a powerful tool mm-hmm. in that. Like I said, I've had meats in a freezer for five years, taking it out and still eating it. Hasn't been perfect, mm-hmm. but if it's between that and nothing, at least I mean, it's you a have whole something. heck of a lot better to have that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, vacuum yep. sealers can make all the difference in a budget because if you, if you can rethink the way you shop, if you're someone who shops like for the week, you might be able to stop sharp, start shopping for like the month, the next three months, the next year. Uh, and you end up saving a lot of money. If you remember to use what's in your freezer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The number of, of times I've seen stuff or heard of stuff getting thrown out because it's somebody's elk from seven years ago and they're like oh i never ate it just eat it well how did you let that happen right Right. like that's that's not acceptable so you just went out and killed something really is what you did yeah you You didn't complete the act of hunting Yeah, you basically left it on the side of the road (laughs) yep yep that's what it comes down to but all right. Do you want to talk anything else about uh, your podcast? Your I know you have a Patreon. Yeah. Yep. So in there, um, I, I have people in there who want to learn and get some more kitchen inspiration, more meal plan ideas. So I do a little bit more in-depth things for them, of course, because they're uh, more paying customers. But I do a monthly cooking tutorial for them, which is a lot of fun. And um, what I love to do is if they say like, hey, I've never cooked salmon before. Could you please do a tutorial on that? Great. I'll plan that in. 
Um, so it's kind of a fun way to get some more kitchen inspiration and a more community support group, but it's also um, a way to get some more tailored advice. Like, how do I actually cook fish? I never eat fish because I can't cook it. So I, I love it for that. And I, I teach all kinds of cooking classes and I, I just love it. Cooking and nutrition for me are meant to go hand in hand as far as education. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And speaking of education, um, I don't think they teach any of this in school anymore. <laughs> Growing up, when I was in high school, even like everybody had to take home ec. Mm-hmm. Like you did not, you couldn't take something else. Everybody took home ec. Now it's not, I don't even know if it's an option. Yeah. Like, I I don't think it exists. I, I used to teach, when I started out as a dietitian, I was a community-based dietitian and I had a travel kitchen. I had like little portable cooktops, knives, cutting boards, everything, you name it, in a bin, in a cooler, I just wheeled it around. And I would go to schools and I actually got to use old home ec classrooms. And I would do um, a cooking class for teens, especially because they didn't have that. Home ec was gone and the school was like, we know these kids need this lesson. They need this support. Um, And I was like, man, can I just steal this classroom? Like there's all these great kitchen islands set up and it's so sad they don't teach home ec anymore. But um, yeah, I would wheel that around to libraries, hallways, uh, auditoriums anywhere i could teach people i would i would do it yeah there i say it a lot but occasion we have a, a retail store attached and i very rarely get to do any like i started in customer service here helping our commercial customers and our retail customers um and then it just kind of kept coming up where somebody had a processing question the call would come to me um, because i liked it i was interested in it and so i got an opportunity to do this instead so through doing this though, I've lost that one-on-one teaching and I thrive on that so much that if I happen to be walking through the retail shop and I hear somebody with a question, well, there's my next 20 minutes. Yeah. Like I'm going over and inserting myself into that. Cause I, I want that like instant feedback you get from people where it's like, Oh, I'm helping this person. It's a great feeling. It is a great feeling. Really, really is. Yeah. So anytime you can give like one tip, I mean, you don't, you just don't know what the ripple effect of that could cause for somebody you could inspire them in so many more ways than you ever get to know so i think that's great that one-on-one or like the group consulting like i do too in cooking it's it's great you just get to see like people's faces light up like i said every week i'm teaching somebody how to cut an onion and when they get that confidence they're like oh my gosh i could add onions they're so flavorful i could add it to this i could do that i'm like yes (laughs) that's such a victory yeah and for people who have grown up cooking or have always cooked, that's such a, a basic skill that you don't think of it as anything. Yeah. It's just, I'm going to saute this. I have to cut it up first. Mm-hmm. But if that's a barrier to entry of them not knowing how to do that, then they're never, unless, unless somebody shows them how to do it. Yeah. They're not. Um, yeah. How far out do you plan your monthly, uh, cooking demonstration? Um, usually, usually a couple months out. And then sometimes I just, I'll end <laughs> I keep bringing up the boar, but it's kind of random that it's in my freezer. It's supposed to be in my father's freezer, um, but it's mine now. So <laughs> that just okay. keeps coming Too up late. and it's like, well, I'm going to use that. Like this week we'll do a random cooking demo. I'll promote it and get some people in there. And um, so, yeah, it kind of just depends. I'm working on planning them out a little further just so people can plan ahead. Um, but I really want to do more kids in the kitchen classes too, because I get my son involved all the time. And that is another great way to just harness like the love of cooking and food from like baby yep. to adult. Yeah. 
down and I, you're setting him up for a, a better relationship with food mm-hmm. than the average person does. Now, I, I, I very much like to make fun of myself. Like, oh, I have a terrible relationship with food. It's, it's not that I definitely think I have a better relationship than the average person. Mm-hmm. Like you go out and you look at people just in the shopping or I'll look at people's shopping carts just out of habit. And I'm like, oh, no, all, none of that is like food. That's the number one best tip I came away with from trying to lose weight was don't drink your calories. Mm. Like uh, you do not want to drink that much Mountain Dew. Like you're killing yourself right there. That's a, a days full of calories you're going to drink in a day. Yeah. But I don't it's, know. Um, it's fascinating. I think, I think what I love so much about, especially the one-on-one and what I do is a lot of times in my appointments, I don't, we don't talk about food. We don't necessarily talk about even cooking yet. We start more with like, what happened? What, what was your childhood like with cooking? What, what, like what's your relationship with food? What's your dieting history? Mm. Cause that impacts it so much. Um, and what's your mental health status like? Cause that really, really impacts like the food that you eat or the food that your body is craving and desiring. Um, so if they're buying, you know, case upon case of Mountain Dew or pop, there's usually some reason or they just really, really love it. <laughs> and, and you can be healthy and drink, you know, drink soda um, but if it's sure. like, like you said, if you're only drinking soda all day to get through the day, or you're, you're somebody who fasts all day and only eats one meal a day, but you get through it by having pop all day, you might end up with some complications of that. <laughs> so yeah, it is, it's fascinating to me why people get to where they're at. Um, and it's, it's a lot of times, like it's a lot of times in our childhood where different food things pop up or social media or just like Hollywood in general says like, this is what you're supposed to look like. And the, the amount of shame and guilt that people go through trying to achieve that um, just ends up being so damaging to their budget, to their relationship with food, but also like the expansion of what they could be buying at the store. <laughs> so, but you said you like carbs, do you still think people's you would know better than I do people still see carbs as like something to totally avoid oh, or is yeah. it like the sugar part of carbs? So it is still carbs. Oh, people yeah. think are people think carbs okay. are like, that's interesting. <laughs> like, like I said, like in the eighties it was fat and now, and uh-huh. it's still a little bit of that. There's still a lot of people who are like, don't do too much fat. There is. Um, yeah. So that's still lingering, but right now we're anti-carb. So I'm very curious if in like 10 to 20 years, it's going to go anti-protein. I don't think it will because it's protein's got so much more power from the dieting industry. Right. Um, but yeah. yeah, people are so anti-carbs and it, I get both. I either have people who are struggling with like, I'm not allowed to have pasta. I'm not allowed to have rice. I can't have bread. I can't have bagels. I can't have any of that. And if I do, like, I can't stop. So that's a lot of healing we have to do because those things are completely safe and viable for your body to. How did I not? I eat a decent amount of rice. I don't know how that didn't make it into my. (laughs) I'm having an extra meal somewhere, maybe. I don't know. That's interesting because I do. Yeah, I do eat a decent amount of rice. So I don't know where that where that factors in. But yeah, no, I I love rice. I'm out sweet potatoes. Um, I'm fine with those. I just, I know I don't react well, like with specifically pasta, Mm -hmm. it just sits in my stomach like a lead weight. And I'm for the next like six hours, I'm just like, yeah. And like, I feel bad. It's it's totally an individual experience of how you eat and how it feels in your body. And, and that's what I just like to experiment with, with people. Um, but then you get the people who are like, I, they're like, Oh, I don't eat carbs. And I'm like, like any carbs, and really what That's they mean, great. yeah, <laughs> I'm like, 
you really do need those. Um, but you might die. <laughs> you might die. Yeah, your brain is going to yeah. not function, and neither is your heart yep. um, and your muscles. But uh, a lot of times, what they really mean is sugar. But carbs and sugar are the, I mean, if you really think about it scientifically, they're the same term. It's just when we say sugar, we think, okay. ah, it's bad. Um, but carbs are sugar, sugar's carbs. If you look at like the way it breaks down in the body and like, it's just, there's different types of carbohydrates. So there's, you know, more complex ones. And then there's your more simple ones, which end up right. being your added sugars. And we can still eat that. It is just kind of working on how do you balance it in? Yeah. And, uh, a lot of it, like the, at least I think there's more of an understanding today that the, it's the simple sugars that you're trying to avoid. I, that might just be my circle. So, you know, very small sample circle, but it seems like the, the term complex carb, yeah, complex carb, people are more open to eating those. So, yeah, you know. I hope, I, I hope that continues to be even more of a trend and, and really just, make make cooking the trend <laughs> because whether you're having complex oh. carbs whether it's like brown rice white rice not a big difference in most of those like cooking elements i know <laughs> no no it, but it, it it's almost there's more uh what is it it's not it, it's a bad chemical there's more of it in brown rice um, arsenic i am thinking no am i thinking of arsenic yeah, did that turn out to be not true? You don't really need to worry about that. <laughs> you can always rinse grains, I think, ahead of time that is advised to like, not so much rice typically, but there's some other grains or lentils that it's helpful to rinse things off first um, and then go through the cooking process. But if you're cooking, it's fine. <laughs> and you said freeze grains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How long will grains store if they're frozen? If they are raw and uncooked. I mean, years and years and years, um, you know, past okay. the tart and tart, yeah, their, their texture may be a little bit different, but in the apocalypse, I'm still going to eat them. Um, but cooked grains, um, probably around three months ish. So not quite as long, but okay. I, I love cooking. If I make rice, I might just make a little bit more so then I can freeze some and then I can have that on hand for a fend for myself night kind of thing. Yeah, I liked that too. The you called it well, fend for yourself. It was you said FFS, yep, FFS, and encore, yep, and encore night. Yeah, instead of leftovers, just because people are like, yeah, leftovers, like call it encore night. <laughs> there you go, make it fancy. Yeah. So, for anyone who's interested in what we were just talking about, that is uh, the episode we were talking about earlier. I highly encourage you to go listen to it because it's filled with good information. We just talked about a couple of the tips in there. There were a bunch of them in there. All of them, I think, can well. You even say it. Some will apply to some. Not everything's going to apply to everybody, and and that's fine. Yeah. But you'll definitely get some useful information. Thank on there. you. All right. If people want to find you, how can they reach yeah, you? Yeah. Um. Head to thekitcheninvitation.com. Search for the Kitchen Invitation on social media or any podcast site that you listen on, and you will find me. Or just look up Jesse Holden. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate you spending the time and imparting a little bit of knowledge Absolutely. with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for checking out the Meatistics podcast. To shop everything but the meat, head on over to waltonsinc.com. And to get your meat processing questions answered by experts and enthusiasts alike, head on over to our online community at meatistics.com. Waltons, everything but the meat.